seven years ago, I was in my final semester at Bible college interning with Cornerstone, which was um, a really cool and random opportunity that came about because I had to do a project in, in, in one of my preaching classes in Bible college where I had to do a phone interview with a preacher uh, who was regularly preaching to a, a, a church of, of a good size. And so I was trying to figure out who I'm going to interview for this. And my sister said, oh, you should call Phil at Cornerstone in Cornwall and talk to him about what preaching looks like for him. And so I kind of emailed the office and set up a phone call and was able to talk with Phil and ask him, like, what's it look like for you to write sermons regularly? And what, you know, just all these questions I was supposed to ask for my preaching class. And as my interview was winding up, I kind of I felt this nudge to say, listen, I have to do an internship as part of this degree that I'm doing. Would you ever be interested in having an intern? He's like, oh, that could be cool. Let's explore that conversation further. A year later, I find myself as um, a idealistic, almost Bible college graduate coming on as an intern at Cornerstone, <laughs> excited about the idea of starting new churches, about having the gospel impact people's lives, feeling excited to be part of what was going on. Little did I know that as I was kind of approaching the internship, that Jim and Isabel Slater were having a conversation with Phil about, hey, there's some, we're kind of discouraged by what's going on at the Montague Baptist Church, and is there a way that, you know, we could work together and, and um, maybe you could supply some help or, or those kind of things. One thing led to another, and we find ourselves in a situation where the Montague Baptist Church is becoming part of Cornerstone. I happen to be like a young intern, just excited to be there, like seeing this stuff happen. And then all like these opportunities that God seems to be bringing about take place where God has provided an opportunity for me to serve at Cornerstone. And then as Montague joins on, I was approached to say, hey, would you be interested in being the pastor in Montague? Haley was on the other side of the world at the time in Thailand. And I remember the like Skype conversations of like, so this is happening and here's this opportunity that's going on and all of these things. The reason that I'm here isn't because I feel like I wooed an interview, but I feel like God has lined up opportunities. And I've been very fortunate to be able to step into some of the opportunities that God has placed before me. As we continue in this sermon series today that we're calling Entrusted, where we've been talking about different ways where we're called to steward the things of God, that, that we're called to step up and take responsibility to use God's things in ways that are going to give Him glory, where we talked about the stories and experiences that God has given us and using those for His glory. We talked about the gospel that we've been entrusted with and sharing that to God's glory. We've been talking about the families that God's entrusted us with and, and to raise our families and live in those relationships to God's glory. We talked about money that God has given us and using that as a way of worshiping God. Our gifts and our talents last week. This week we're going to be talking about the opportunities. 
that God entrusts us with, that we're entrusted with opportunities. Here's what I mean by this, okay? That God provides opportunities to grow, to serve, to share the gospel, sometimes in the places where we may not expect it. That God is providing opportunities for us to grow, to serve, to share the gospel where we may not expect it. So the question is, are we going to join the Spirit of God in the opportunities he creates to form in us the character of Christ, to grow, to be more like Jesus. The question is, are we going to step up for the opportunities to use our gifts and our time to be able to serve those that God places in our lives or in our proximity to be able to show the love and care of God? Are we going to be part of God's story of rescuing people from their sin and into the new life that Christ offers by sharing the gospel and to share Jesus with people in the chances that we have to do that? Will we be stewards of the opportunities that God gives us? Let me give you a great example from the New Testament of where I think opportunity was seen and stepped into for the glory of God. There's a story in the kind of missionary journeys of Paul where he's traveling around the Mediterranean world, starting new churches in towns as he's going about, as he's proclaiming Jesus, the, the Messiah of the Jewish people who died and was resurrected from the dead. And wherever he goes, there's people who come to faith and they start a gathering and a, and a church of people where they kind of start evangelizing their town and serving the needy in all these amazing ways. And Paul, who was once someone who was persecuting the church, who would get permission from government officials to be able to go and to arrest Christians and take them to be tried and sometimes killed because of their uh, convictions of faith encountered the risen Jesus and was radically converted to becoming one of the greatest mouthpieces for the gospel in the first century. This man who was radically heading one direction, God takes him and spins him 180 degrees and uses him for his glory. But Paul, in kind of his zeal to spread the gospel, is going to all these towns and cities around the Roman Empire in the first century. And we read of a story where he goes with his protege Timothy and a guy named Silas to the city of Thessalonica. That's where we get the letters of First and Second Thessalonians are, are written to the church in Thessalonica. And he goes to Thessalonica and he starts to, um, he goes to the Jewish synagogue. And he starts to explain to them, hey, this is the Jewish Messiah that you've been waiting for, Jesus of Nazareth. He died and was resurrected. This is the guy, right? And they didn't really like uh, what he was talking about. They didn't appreciate his interpretation of the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. And so they run him out of town. And so Paul and Timothy and Silas, they go to a nearby town called Berea. And there he goes to the synagogue again, and he's explaining to the Jews there and and. They study the scriptures with him and they become convinced. But as they're convinced, a, a, a group of rabble-rousers from Thessalonica come down to Berea and they start a whole, uh, a whole ruckus and Paul and the crew are, are fearful for their lives. 
And so some of the believers in Berea, they, they sneak him out of the city and they escort him down to the city of Athens. Athens, like the historic, ancient Greek city that everyone's familiar with, with the big columns and the, uh, the old buildings, etc. And while in Athens, Paul's just waiting for Timothy and Silas to come and meet him. This is in Acts 17. He's waiting for Timothy and Silas to get out of Berea, to meet him down in Athens so that they can continue their work. But this is what it says in Acts 17, verses 16 and 17. You can follow on the screen. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Here's what I love about this story. Paul's in Athens on a layover. He's just there waiting for Timothy and Silas. But instead of it being a time where he's just like there twiddling his thumbs, waiting for his friends to arrive, he notices a need. He looks around Athens and he sees that the place is just full of idols and statues and things that the people of Athens were worshiping. He notices a need and he knows God's heart. Where he was distressed by seeing this. He knows God's heart that he desires all people to come to know him and to worship him. And so in seeing the need, in knowing God's heart, Paul does something about it. He starts going to the synagogue. He starts explaining to the Jews there about Jesus. And knowing kind of how the Jewish story uh, in the Old Testament explains the coming of the Messiah, like he's, he's there explaining to these people. And then when it's not Saturday in the synagogue meeting, he goes to the marketplace. And he's talking with, with Greeks. Greeks who may not have the same kind of Jewish background or know the Old Testament enough to to know the story of the Messiah, but he's explaining it to them anyway. And he's sharing with them, like, this is the Messiah. This is how God has revealed himself to us. Why you don't have to worship all these idols. He takes this, this moment that could have been a layover, could have been wasted time, but he saw a need. He knows God's heart, and so he did something about it. And what we read in this story is that as he's in the marketplaces and talking about Jesus, that some of the the philosophers in Athens, they they pick up that he's teaching some, some new interesting ideas. And so they go and they tap him on the shoulder and they're like, come with us. And they take Paul to a meeting of the Areopagus. The Areopagus was a council of some of the brightest minds in the Roman Empire who would sit and debate new ideas. They were like the philosophers. These were the Ivy League of the ancient world. And so they bring Paul before this group and say, teach us the stuff that you're talking about. Who's this foreign god that you're talking about? And so Paul steps into this opportunity to speak to the the most influential and brightest minds of the world at the time, telling them about the resurrected Jesus. And this is what happens. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, it says later on in verse 32, some of them sneered. Others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council 
and some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. All of a sudden, Paul goes from having a layover in Athens to influencing and like bringing to Christ one of the members of this council, one of the influential thinkers of the time. And we learn from history that Dionysus goes on to become the bishop of Athens. Like he becomes one of the leaders of the church in that city. Paul saw his time in Athens as more than a layover, but an opportunity to introduce people to Jesus. So what does this look like for us? Paul saw a need when he was there. And I think one of the most like basic and simple starting points for us is in our day-to-day lives that we would pray to have eyes to see the opportunities that God's given us. Just pray to have the eyes to see it. Like, Paul could have just been sitting there. And like the fact that he, just, he noticed the idols around. Like that, that's the start of it. Pray when we, when we get up during the day. God, would you give me the eyes to see the opportunities you've placed before me? God, would you give me the, the, the same heart that you have so that the things that affect you would affect me? So that I would be spurred on to do something about the things that I see? to know God's heart so that when we do see needs, when our eyes are open to opportunities, we have a desire like God to fulfill them. When we see the poverty or injustice or the vulnerable, to be able to to see the need, to be able to step up to support and to serve. We have eyes to see the opportunities that God places in front of us to grow in sometimes the ways we don't expect it. Grow by having your kids throw a tantrum 10 minutes before church starts. Okay, I'm preaching to myself this morning. That we would have eyes to see those moments as an opportunity to grow in the fruit of the Spirit that the, that the Holy Spirit is trying to bring out in us. Oof that we see opportunities with our difficult coworkers and see them as opportunities God's bringing about for us to be able to grow and display the fruit of the Spirit that He's trying to bring out in us. When, I'm preaching to myself again, when things don't go as we plan and we have a schedule or an expectation of what the day is going to be like or what the weekend's going to hold and then whatever happens and our plans are derailed, becomes an opportunity for us to grow. Man, wouldn't it be great for us to have the eyes to see those as opportunities God's placing before us rather than the frustrating, that just threw my whole day off and now I'm going to pout about it. Again, preaching to myself. Here's the thing. The opportunities are there. We just need the eyes to see them. God is providing opportunity. We need the eyes to see it. Let, let, me, let me give you some biblical evidence 
I, I think of Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This interesting thought that God in his sovereignty has things, he has opportunities, he has moments already planned for us, for us to be able to step into. We just need the eyes to see. And these opportunities, these moments where we can serve, these moments to to share the gospel, these moments to respond and see things as moments of growth, please, like, these aren't just, like, cornerstone-branded event things, right? Like, as the people of God, as the church, the Holy Spirit is going to lead us into opportunities that doesn't have to be something that's programmed and organized by the leadership of the church. Does that make sense? Like, this is happening in our day-to-day lives. And we should see it as happening more between Monday and Saturday than on Sunday morning. That there are opportunities throughout the week and throughout the whole of our lives that God is creating. The second thing, maybe the second building block after praying for eyes to see, It's for us to pray for the courage to actually step into the opportunities that God gives us. Because it's one thing to see the opportunity. It's one thing to know that it's there. If if education and knowing things was the solution to human transformation, like the Western world would be a lot better than it is because of how educated we all are. Knowing it and doing it are two different things. And we need to pray for courage and help of the Spirit to actually step into the opportunities that we've been given the eyes to see. And we will very naturally lean away from opportunities. Whether out of of fear, fear of failure, fear of what people will think of us if we kind of step out on a limb a little bit. Fear of not being able to handle things on our own. Like, I, I can't do this. Like, this opportunity is in front of me, but I'm not good enough or, or smart enough or skilled enough for it. And there are two things that I want to say to that is, one, you have the spirit of the living God dwelling in you. And so if he's presenting you with an opportunity, he is going to give you what you need to step into it. Also, we're not necessarily meant to step into opportunities alone. Sometimes we have this like perspective of our Christian life is it's like, oh, this is what I'm to do and what God has called me to do and like no one else needs to worry about it. When actually, we're called to live this thing out in community. So if there's an opportunity that the Spirit's placing before you, that you've been given the eyes to see and you're longing for the courage, like tell someone about it. Invite someone else in to be part of it. Like we're, we're called to this work together, Right? We don't have to do it alone. Tell someone else about it. That that gives you a little bit of accountability, right? Because you know, like, next time you see them, they're going to be like, hey, what about that thing that you told me about? And they'll be able to call you out a little bit if you didn't step up and do it. But also, it's an invitation to join me in this work. Join me in what God has presented before us to do. 
But whatever we do, we need to make sure we do it. We've been going through James as a youth group. And uh, we've been watching these Francis Chan videos. And there are moments when we're watching these videos, and I'm cringing a little bit because I'm like, ooh, that's like, that's a hard word. Like, this isn't like, this isn't like easy, swallowable stuff for teenagers. Like, no, like, he's hitting hard. He's not pulling punches in the book of James. And one of the things that James says, and, and this is at the tail end of a, of a passage, he says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So if we see an opportunity and we've been presented with one, we have the eyes to see, and we don't do it. That's, that's what we call a sin of omission, of omitting to do something, of not stepping into something. And this comes at the tail end of a passage that I think typifies the idealistic Bible college student that I was. Where James here is talking about those who have plans of, I'm going to move to the city and make a bunch of money, and like I have all these great plans. And I think there's some kind of like Bible college syndrome that, that some of us got when we were kind of going through school. And we had this plan of like, I'm going to get my PhD by the time I'm 25, and when I'm 30, I'm going to start orphanages in Ghana, and then after that, I'm going to start my own, like, you know, end-world hunger organization, and we're going to have that done by 2032. Like, we have these, like, idealistic expectations, like, I'm going to set these plans, and it's going to be fantastic, and it's all going to go my way. But James here in this passage is warning those of us who are maybe holding on a bit too tightly to the reins. Who say, there could be some opportunities, but man, I really want to control them. I I really want to be the one in charge. I'm going to move to the city, and I'm going to start a business and make a bunch of money. And James says, listen, you have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. You're not the one ultimately holding the reins. That as we see opportunities in front of us to have the humility to say, ultimately it's God's. And I'm not going to approach it with an air of pride and of saying, well, I'm entitled to this, but with a humility of saying, God, you've you've presented something in front of me, so if this is what you have, I'm going to step into it. Not in saying, God, you better... You better own up and like follow up in your end of the deal. Because I got some money to make. But we try to control opportunity. God is the one in charge. We can't predict the future. But he's the one who ultimately holds all things. And I'll be honest, this, this plays in a bit into how our church approaches things like vision and and mission and things like that. Like, I don't know if you will ever hear like a, this is Cornerstone's five-year strategic plan. We're not not that kind of church. And and if that's really important to you, I'm sorry. But, But that's really not who we are. Like, There were so many 2020 vision series. 
And 2020 didn't end up like any of those series <laughs> planned. Anyway, that's all I'll say about it. I would sooner have the posture of how can I respond joyfully and responsibly to the opportunities that God places in front of us. We don't have to like force God's hand and to make something happen, but to say, God, if there's something in front of us, give us eyes to see and help us to be responsible and steward that and step into it as a church. I love... The, the denomination we're part of, the Canadian Baptists of Atlantic Canada, their tagline is like joining God in our neighborhoods. And I love that idea of like God is at work. He's already doing things. Like the reason that some of you are here is because God's already been at work in your heart. And like there's no like strategic plan that is going to like force that to happen. Like God's at work. The question is, are we going to join in on what God's doing? We're going to step in to the opportunity. So I'm going I'm to put before you a couple opportunities that are in front of us as a church family right now. One of, one of which is the waterfront. Like, this is an incredible opportunity to steward what God has placed on our lap. Like, we're in a town that, man, like, loves to be outside in the summertime, where there's boats parked everywhere, where, like, the gospel has an opportunity to be proclaimed. And, and for us to be able to step up and into that opportunity, I think we would be missing out if we didn't. Another thing that we, we're faced with right now as a church is like we're growing. And, and there's difficulty and growing pains with that. And, and part of what we're trying to do is expand our parking lot in order to be able to make space for people. And so like coming down the pike in the next hopefully sooner than later, we'll have more information about what that looks like for us to steward the growth that's happening in, with things like expanding our parking lot. And who knows what kinds of expansion may need to come in the future. But God has presented opportunities before us. What opportunities has God placed before you? Listen, with the summer around the corner, Maybe the family that's coming to the island to visit. The conversations that, that could take place. The bonfires and barbecues that become a, a place of growth and fellowship and community of growing, of serving, of sharing Jesus. With our kids not being at school and being home a bit more. Growth opportunity. Who are the people in our lives, in our circles? Who are the people in our neighborhoods? <laughs> that God has placed there, and we need to open our eyes to be able to see the opportunity to serve them. My prayer this morning is that God would give us the eyes to see, the courage to respond, and the excitement to join Him in what He's doing. Let's pray.